calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey again, friends of the forest. We are still on our mid-season break while we continue work on the second half of our season. For our bonus content this week, we have another radio interview, this time with the incredible Reed Herod, the writer behind our second story, H and Greta. Again, thank you all so much for your continued listenership and your tremendous support. We're so lucky to have each and every one of you in our community. Thank you all, and enjoy. Join me in welcoming to the program one of the writers from Feminist Fairy Tales, Reed Herod, the writer of H and Greta. Welcome, Reed. Thank you so much for having me. Our pleasure. Would you please introduce yourself a bit to our audience? Let them know a little bit about you. Sure. Hi, I'm Reed. I am a writer in the DC area um, and generally an enthusiast of the performing arts and all arts. And this is just such a fun project to be involved with. It was sort of my first real big creative project that I've gotten into since the start of the pandemic, which was a bit of a, a bit of a rough time for me as with many people. How did you get involved with feminist fairy tales? So I already knew Madeline and Jenny from the play that I was in a couple years ago at the DC Capitol Fringe Festival. So we were already kind of in an artistic groove. Um, and then I was I was very excited to hear about 
this project and submitted a few uh, ideas to them. Oh, interesting. Just out of curiosity, what were some of the other ideas that you had? Oh, I had so many. Um, So I actually, I read this book that I've had for more than a decade because my grandma went to Russia and she brought me back a book of Russian fairy tales when I was in high school. And I was like, I'm not interested in this. Get me a chapter book next time. But I finally broke it out this year and I read all these really wild Russian fairy tales. I was very interested in a lot of those. And then as as with most of my ideas, uh, the idea for H and Greta sort of came to me in a in a burst, not fully formed, but like a whole bunch of scattered ideas that felt really compelling and sort of pulled to one central point. And I was like, okay, this is this is the direction. Forget all those other ones. Ooh. Would it be a spoiler to share that one central point? No, it, it wouldn't be. The idea was basically in the fairy tale Hansel and Gretel, what if they were trans or one of them was trans? And what if finding a witch in the woods is not necessarily a bad thing. I was just thinking about sort of the parallels between the original story of Hansel and Gretel and the parallels between that, which is in my mind, sort of in the Cinderella category of like, it's a story about child abuse of some type that doesn't really get labeled as that. It's like a kid or kids living in an abusive household situation and the story just does not really own up to that or doesn't really address it in a in a full way. Hmm. Would you tell us a little bit about H and Greta, what it ended up being? Sure, yeah. Basically the story is that it's it's set in modern day. There's these two siblings and they find out that one of them is going to be sent away to a conversion therapy program and they end up leaving home and getting very lost in the woods. And then they happen upon some magical happenings in the woods and have to decide whether they are trying to get back home or whether they want to make a new life or a new family for themselves away from their family of origin. So I'm curious now, you talked about the uh, original story featuring child abuse and not labeling it as such. Does your telling label anything as child abuse? Not in those words. And I think often in art, if you slap a label over something, it's less compelling than just like showing all of the nuances of the story and letting people feel the truth for themselves. So I, you know, I don't have the kids saying, wow, our mom sure is controlling (laughs) or our dad is emotionally (laughs) withholding (laughs) or they want to send us to conversion therapy. It's more the way that the original story handles what's happening at home versus the way that I have my characters react to it. In the original fairy tale, what happens is that it's in a time of famine. And a lot of fairy tales from this era were like, you know, there's a lot of famine going on in Europe and just like people did not have food. They did not have money. So there's a lot of stories from that time about Uh, families going through hardship and sort of explaining that to the kids who are hearing these stories. But in the original story, the, you know, of course there's the wicked stepmother character and she convinces 
their dad, like, oh, we do not have enough food to feed our family. Let's just lead these kids into the woods and accidentally on purpose, leave them there. Um, We will be able to eat bread for a few more days if we do that. Um, (laughs) And so they do that. Hansel gets the rocks and makes a path and they're able to come home. Everybody acts as if nothing has happened and they all are hungry, but keep scraping by. And then like a month or two later, the stepwife, she tries it again. Then they get lost because they use the breadcrumbs. But at the end of the story, and this is where it's like, oh my God, are we not addressing the fact that your parents just tried to kill you? The kids, uh, they kill the witch. They bring home her rubies and pearls and whatever treasure she has at her house in the woods. And they bring it to their dad. In the meantime, their stepmother has just died. No explanation. The story ends with the happy reuniting of, of father and children. And they believe that their dad will love them now that they've provided money for their family during this famine. Um, and it's just a celebration. Hooray, you're, you're alive. You brought us money. Now we can buy food. There's no acknowledgement that the dad was like, yeah, you know, I fought it for five minutes, but your stepmom did convince me to abandon you in the woods. There's no acknowledgement of that. Another thing which we can get into in a bit is that the witch is very, it's, she's very Jewish coded. So there's a whole lot of that very obviously woven into the way that the Grimm brothers describe this witch character. And so it's very much like women are bad. Jewish people are bad the Christian like male led family is, is safety and um, don't veer out of that or you will be hungry and die or you will get bad ideas about who is supposed to have power or about what is family. I'm, I am curious, actually, you said we could get into the witch. Please tell us a little more about the witch either in with respect to the original tale or with what you've done with the character? Yeah, I I don't think I want to go too much into what I've done with the character, even though I super love what I've done with the character, because I just I want to let people experience it for themselves if they uh, listen to it. But yeah, the original version of the character is it's really interesting when you think about this is the Grimm brothers published this in 1800s Germany. So you can really, it's really creepy when you think about it, what it was leading up to in German history. Like this is a hundred years before the Holocaust. Um, and it's, it was very, very common in children's stories and just in the um, zeitgeist, this sort of notion of like Jewish people are, are powerful there. And there's like all these different oxymorons, right? Like they're, they're no good, but they're also like superhuman and they're going to steal our children. And obviously bigotry is never rooted in reality. But to me, when I read the original and then I read a lot of commentaries on it, it was very uh, unnerving to see that this is what was happening. These are the stories being told in people's households. And this is not very long before it became really, really dangerous to be a Jew in Germany. Wow. How did the writing process lead to the evolution of your story from the original idea to the final script? I love that question because it's, it's always a bit of a chaotic dance with me. I start, I start with the ideas and then as I'm writing, 
seems like I discover something else in there. And there's always a process of discovery with writing, but it seems to me that every time I'm writing, I, I like land on the truth that I was trying to get at from the beginning, but I never could have known what that truth was at the start. It's very much like a, yeah, finding, finding meaning through process type of thing. And then at the end, you know, I'd, I'd love to say, oh yeah, this was exactly my mission all along, but usually it's something kind of adjacent, but ends up being more, more true to that original impulse. I won't even say original idea, but that original impulse than whatever I started off with. And that's, that's exciting and cool. I like mm. that. <laughs> it's like, it comes home at some point. Yeah. It's almost like, um, yeah, it's almost like the idea or the creative piece, whatever that is, whatever medium it is, not just writing. Um, it feels like it almost has a, a mind of its own or not necessarily a mind of its own, but a spirit of its own. Ideas very much feel like alive things that are wiggling and you have to like catch them and corral them, but you don't want to constrict them too much. I always feel like I'm just grasping them out of the air. And sometimes when they're coming quickly, it's like, I don't even, I can't even write fast enough. But yeah, in, in terms of that process, I always just find it fascinating and I find it easier to write or to work through any creative process if I can and when I can stop over intellectualizing and worrying about that process, because I know I'm always going to go through those stages of like an overabundance of ideas and then like having to edit them down and then feeling like none of them are good enough and then feeling like it's heading in the right direction and then wishing that I could spend the same amount of time exploring all of the other directions, but realizing that I am one person and I have only so many hours in my week. So yeah, it's always, it's always this really chaotic seeming process, but the more you do it, the more you notice those patterns. And I'm totally stealing some of the ideas, by the way, from the book, uh, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, which I recently read and really loved. It's just about creativity and ideas and the creative process. But yeah, I, I tried really hard with this one, especially because I was so excited about it to not over-intellectualize the process and just let myself sort of catch the ideas when I could, run with them as far as I could, and just like let the process happen without getting too scared of it or too brainy about it. Mm. How does H and Greta compare to some of the other works you've created? It's totally its own unique thing. This was all, all of it was yeah, delving into like actual fiction. I sort of felt more like I was writing a, a storybook than a podcast, although I was obviously thinking about how it would sound. One thing I really love about my episode is that it's sort of told in a in a classic narrator voice as opposed to like a more of a radio play style. It, it starts with once upon a time and I wanted it to feel almost like a bedtime story, which yeah, I haven't done any audio drama writing. I haven't done any like fairy tale writing since I think maybe first grade. And yeah, and it's definitely the longest thing I've written in a very long while. So it was, it was just new and exciting. And I was very pleased and grateful that I sort of just leapt into this and didn't, I felt a little, a little afraid at the beginning, just because it was so different from things I've done before, which is mostly playwriting and poetry. 
but yeah, it was really wonderful having Jenny and Madeline leading this process because I already liked and trusted them. So I was really able to just have fun with it and just jump into this extremely new and different creative project. Very cool. Thank you. One thing I've been wondering, if you're comfortable with sharing, is is there anything from your personal life that informed your writing of H and Greta? Hmm. Certainly little bits and pieces of each character. I have, you know, people in my life who I like stole a little phrase from them or like wanted to find a a note of their voice in that character. Certainly the character of Greta reminds me of a number of stubborn and precocious and delightful young kids who I've known. I was doing a lot of uh, babysitting and nannying around the time when I was writing this. So it was really helpful to have the access to kids' voices and like their cadence and their weird phrases. So I certainly feel tenderly toward both of those uh, children characters because there's a bit of, of many kids that I've loved throughout my life um, mm. in both of them. Very cool. It sounds like you tackle a lot of themes in H and Greta. Yeah. One, one thing that's been really cool uh, is that writing this sort of has coincided with a time in which I've been learning more about Judaism and doing a bit of spiritual searching myself, learning about my family's Jewish heritage and just sort of thinking about what does it mean to me? And like, what do I believe when it comes down to it? I've always been a sort of non-religious, but striving to be highly ethical person. And it was, it was a good excuse for me to really brush up on some of the history of anti-Semitism, which is really important for all people to know. That was a really powerful part of this project actually was an excuse to do some more research into that and learning about different negative tropes. And then of course, in thinking about this project as feminist fairy tales. So thinking about how is gender working in this story? Um, and I feel like I've, I've barely talked at all about uh, the fact the the pivotal part of the plot in the story is that one of the kids is trans. Um, so just thinking about the way that, yeah, gender and religion are often these massive things that guide the way that people move through society and they don't really get talked about enough. And at the same time, it feels like we're constantly talking about them. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was just really interesting to me to dig into what are, where do our values come from? How do we learn who is supposed to do what? What do we all grow up learning? And uh, H and Greta, they don't have a ton of community. They are homeschooled. They have Christian parents who have pretty limited ideas of gender. But yeah, I find it really fascinating. What do we learn in the home about who you can be based on where you were born and what your body is? It, It can be so limiting. And then if you if you meet people who are different from yourself, it can be so freeing to learn about how others move through the world and to consider how else you might start to move through the world and how you can figure out who am I in relation to what you've been taught to be. Oh, I loved that so much. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) You just really spoke to me because I, I feel very, very, very strongly in the the influence of what we learn as children from our families and the people, the communities that they bring us in contact with, as well as the media we consume. So, yeah, and, and you've spoken about both of those in this interview. 
even though the the family that I wrote into this story is quite a bit different from my own family, I put a lot of myself into the character H, who is a nine-year-old non-binary kid who doesn't really have all of the language for that yet, but knows that they're not a girl, not a boy. Even though I I did not realize that I myself am non-binary until my early 20s, I really love to imagine what it would have been like to have a bit of an inkling more about my gender. I mean, I think in some ways I I did, but I just didn't have words for it, which is why I kind of felt drawn to create this character. That was a really interesting process writing that child and not not necessarily projecting myself onto H, but just imagining possibilities and sort of alternate timelines for my own life. And although H is in a much more unaccepting home situation, but just sort of imagining pieces of myself and like, what if it had gone like this? What if it had gone like that? Um, And for me, I mean, I think for a lot of artists, that's a very compelling thing to do is think, what if I took this really important part of myself and put it in? Wow. This is a question I intend to ask each of the writers of Feminist Fairy Tales. I think a lot of people have different ideas of what feminism is, and I'd like to know, what does feminism mean to you? Yeah, to me, I think feminism means acknowledging the deeply entrenched ways in which gender, the many ways that that is defined, affects everybody's lives and the ways that misogyny and sexism, of course, affect everybody's lives, not just women, because um, misogyny comes from patriarchy and patriarchy is harmful to all people. And, And then, of course, for me, feminism is about acknowledging all of these interlocking, interlacing systems of oppression, like where misogyny meets racism, meets transphobia, meets xenophobia, meets all of these other things. The way that all of these interlocking oppressions contribute to a world where people are treated differently for who they are, not just with gender, but with all these other identities And to me, feminism is about how can we build a better world that doesn't tell people from the start who they are or what they have to do, what they have to do to others, what they have to agree to let get done to them. And yeah, it's about dismantling those oppressive systems so that we can all be freer to be exactly who we are and to make a better world which is all I want to do. I just want to make art, hang out with my friends and make a more just world. That's literally all I want to do and eat food. (laughs) Wow. My gosh. Okay. This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much, Reed. I really appreciate you you sharing all of this with us. The podcast is called Feminist Fairy Tales and the story is H and Greta by Reed Herod. Thank you so much for joining us on the program today, Reed. Thank you so much, Michael. This was really, really great.
Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.